0: Welcome back, everybody, to the TV podcast talking about Game of Thrones. I'm Jason Snell. We're talking about uh, Season 5, Episode 7, The Gift. This week on the Incomparable Network, the random Trek episode was an episode of Voyager called The Gift. <laughs> Neelix does not appear in Game of Thrones <laughs> this week. Joining me to not Spoilers! talk about right out the gate. or Cass or Seven of Nine <laughs> are Monty Ashley. Hi, Monty. Hi, Jason. And Brian Hamilton. Hi, Brian. Hello, Jason. Hello, Monty. All right hello, Brian. <laughs> hello, hello everybody. Hello listeners. All right, so we're going to talk about The Gift, which was a much less grim episode than last week's episode. Uh, before we get started, though, I mean, last week's episode caused a huge amount of controversy, and I definitely got some feedback about it. And so I wanted to talk about that a little bit before we went into it. Um, I So I got a lot of feedback. One one piece of feedback I got was that people took offense by the fact that I used the phrase deflowering to refer to what Ramsay does to, to Sansa um and i you know one one person thought that that was making light of the situation which is not at all what i intended um my point being that uh i feel like in that moment at the, at the end of that episode what ramsey is doing is treating sansa as property essentially and he the only thing he cares about is about if she's a virgin or not because he wants to basically make his mark and this is like a thing that he feels is important and i think that's I think that's intentional and telling and a commentary on the awfulness of the entire situation, including arranged marriages and not just how awful Ramsay Bolton is, but how awful the social compact of Westeros is. Um, And so when I I talk about him deflowering her, I don't intend to use that as a euphemism for rape. I, I really meant that as referencing the fact that the only thing he talks about during the entire thing, the only things he's concerned about are, did I get here first? And um and making uh, Reek watch, and I I thought that you know if if my judgment wasn't clear from that, I mean, I think we said it is awful it is grim and awful and horrific and i actually feel like the the show once when, when we're focusing in on um on uh on Reek's eyes at the end that this is uh he's horrified and we're horrified and we're we're in his shoes um that that the show is making us watch this terrible thing um and so some of the feedback i got was you know you need to you, you need to talk more about the fact that this was uh ramsey raping sansa and i I think absolutely it was although what i would say is i think it's an even larger problem because this is about the and and last week i was really exhausted it was my third podcast of the day (laughs) um and and you can if you go back you can hear me yawn at least three times and it wasn't because monty was boring me Monty's a very interesting person i'm (laughs) fascinating you are you are I, i i need to get to know you even more um but but uh i didn't want to get into the whole thing about the rape culture of westeros but i think implicit in the fact that these that that young women are being married off for political reasons this is part of what comes with that and yes it is horrible i think george rr R. martin knows it's horrible i think the producers know it's horrible i feel like that's one of the things that is in the show is about subverting fantasy tropes and saying oh the dreams of princesses meeting princes and all of that is actually horrible along with lots of other fantasy tropes that are horrible if you actually try to put it in a real-world context and look back to the period in our history that this is kind of trying to parallel. I do believe that that is the intent of the show when when they do this, and that when Littlefinger talks to Sansa about marrying Bolton and and as a grand plan to eventually take back Winterfell, I think implicit in that moment is all of the terribleness that will have to happen if she agrees to do that i also think it's really arguable about whether she actually can say yes or no at that point or whether Littlefinger has railroaded her in it into it because i i don't think you can say well she agreed to this so this is all part of her plan because did she really agree did she have any other options does any young woman of noble birth in westeros have any other options um I, i think that's all in here so I wanted to say that. I, I think that sometimes we don't talk about just how awful the awful things are in Game of Thrones um, because there, we would never do anything else because so much of it is that happens is awful. And I think the show generally uh, views it as awful. Um, so I wanted to say that. And then the other thing I wanted to say is that a lot of the people out there, I, like the Mary Sue wrote an editorial about how they weren't going to write about Game of Thrones anymore. I can see, I personally feel that, that the scene last week was handled fairly well. Um, I also totally see given how the scene with uh with cersei and jamie last season was not handled well in my opinion i can see why somebody would have put uh the show on on some serious probation and be watching carefully for other examples of bad behavior and would see a scene like this and say look I, i i just i don't trust these people I think they're doing a bad job. I'm out. I can also totally see if somebody says, this is just too bleak for me. I mean, this show is a bleak show and lots of terrible things happen to people, but I think it's perfectly valid to look at a, a scene with a character you like, who's been with us since the beginning that happened last week and say, you know what, this isn't fun to see this happen. And I think that's a completely valid thing to say. I feel like this is a story they're telling and that we, we given that we were in episode six of 10, that, um, they have a plan for where the story is going. And at some point you put characters in terrible situations and then have them resolve out of them and it becomes a part of the story. So I think, I suspect that that's where they're going, although they may fail at that. It's entirely possible. Um, and I think that makes it extra difficult that they they, they don't want to, have it just be good things that happen this is game of thrones terrible things happen to people and we can argue about whether those terrible things need to be rape and whether they need to be shown in the way that they were shown last week but i think that that's an aspect of it too but still everybody has the right to say you know what this isn't fun and i'm out and if you're one of those people i'm not quite sure why you're listening to this podcast (laughs) but uh i'm glad you did because you it is totally valid to look at this show and say forget it Forget it, guys. But anyway, it it was a terrible scene. It was an awful thing. I think that it's a complicated issue because I think the position women get put on in Westeros is awful on lots of levels, not just the simple kind of modern society level of a wife who doesn't want to have sex with her husband and her husband forces them because they're married and he thinks that gives them the right but i think there's the larger cultural issues in westeros that are just like piling on layers of awful so that's my monologue i totally get the feedback i totally understand why it would turn people off i hope that this is a story that is actually going to end up with sansa having Uh, getting her revenge on awful Ramsey Bolton, and we'll just have to see about that. What did you guys um, think? And do you guys want to say, before we get to this episode, some things about what happened at the end? Brian, you weren't with us last week. Do you have something you'd like to talk about? About that that scene? So I... So I'm very glad
1: that we're doing this in its own little follow-up section at the very beginning, because I wanted to talk about this in the context of the attempted rape of Billy later in the episode. Uh, but no, I'm very glad that we're talking about this. And if I was here last week, this is something I would have said, too. The problem with this episode—so there are people that look at Game of Thrones and say— This is a show where horrible things happen. You just kind of take it and run with it. And I feel like that is the problem. That's why we're here, to critique these shows and say, this is not okay. This is, like, we're going to call them out on this. Uh, I had I was talking to uh, my girlfriend. We watch these shows together. Uh, she was telling me about someone on Facebook who, after the episode, said, oh my god, this was a woman, by the way, oh my god, I cannot believe people are stopping watching Game of Thrones just because there's a rape. And th- that was a huge thing that happened on that Facebook feed. The problem with this is that you know, we can look at this and say it's fantasy, it's removed from real life. Things are not created in bubbles anymore. We cannot look at this and say that this is an isolated thing that just happens inside the world of Westeros and Game of Thrones. The fact that this is coming out right now uh, in a place where women in tech are such a—, a it's a huge issue. Uh, rape culture in America is a huge issue, and I feel like the producers of this show— could have done a much, much better job of handling the fact that this, is a, um, that this is a thing that happens in the plot. The biggest thing for me is that rape is used as a plot device to move character uh, development forward for men. The last shot of last week's episode was Reek watching Sansa get raped. It was not about Sansa at all, and I've been talking to my girlfriend about this. I don't think that Sansa is the strongest character— She believes that Sansa is the strongest character in the show because Mm. of all of the stuff she has been through, and I can totally see why. She has kept it together. You mentioned that uh, Arya and Sansa would not survive each other's situations. There is no way that like Sansa is an incredibly strong character, I'm realizing now, especially after last week's episode and all of the things that have come out since, all of the controversy— that uh, Mary Sue article you uh, referenced, yes, the, they have every single right to not talk about Game of Thrones anymore. The fact that this is coming out now, uh, where rape is used in uh, this kind of context, is not okay. We'll talk about this later when Gilly uh, mm-hmm. has her scene, but I yeah, feel I like... Yeah, I had that moment where I was like, oh, jeez, are we doing this, guys? Really? <laughs> yeah, this is such a huge problem. and I'm glad we're here to critique them about it. I'm glad we got this follow-up. Thank you, everybody, for calling us out on that and Absolutely. calling the show out on that.
0: I I think Theon, I mean, my take on it, and again, sometimes I watch Game of Thrones, especially when we're doing this podcast, as, you know, I'm doing kind of the analysis as if I was writing a paper about it. And like, I really, if I was writing a paper about (laughs) episode six, what I would say is the reason we're looking at Theon there at the end is, yeah, it's part because maybe something will happen there and he'll have a change of character. But I feel like, I feel like he's us. And we, because, you know, let's get meta here for a moment. We're watching it too, right? And and we should be horrified, too. And I don't think that's so much about men being horrified that women are being raped as much as the audience is horrified at the horrible things that happen to people in Westeros. But I totally think that the other other way of looking at it and other way of looking at it that that is often has often been expressed in the last week is completely valid. And I think I think it is really worth it to say, did you need to show it or talk about it to tell your story? I can see the argument that says if you don't show it, you are making the whole thing less horrible. If you don't show it is Sansa's marriage to Ramsey more like, Oh, he's icky instead of no, it's horrible because you know what Ramsey is going to do. Then, then again, in this episode, we see a scene where she says to Theon, to reek, um, he, you know, he leaves me in here all day and then comes in at night. And that pretty much gets it across, right? I mean, did we need more than that? And I think it's worth asking that of the producers. And like I said, I kind of feel like the producers put themselves on notice because a lot of people had problems with the Jamie Searcy scene. And, and I think rightly so, where, you know, it's portrayed as the really stereotypical, you know, she says no, but she really means yes kind of thing. And that was a deeply problematic scene. And I think, I think if you. Put them on notice because of that. Then, you know, I totally see how you'd see this scene and say, "Look, I'm not going to give them any any credit or take them at their word because they lost that the last year when they tried to pull this." I don't know.
2: Well, I'd like to say that I have a lot of sympathy for people who are checking out at this point. In my notes for this episode, when there's the scenes that we'll get to of them telling us, "Oh, Sansa's still being raped all night." Yeah. every night. Oh, she has a chance to get out. Oh, nope. nope. And this old lady, she got flayed to death. My notes right And I'm reading verbatim here are I don't know that I enjoy this. Yep. The- Sansa's plot in particular is so bleak, it's not registering as entertainment with me.
0: Well, And I think, you know, here, here's the challenge with, a, with a, a, a drama, is your, the goal is to give, to, is to tell a good story. And it's tricky because on one level, everybody wants everything to be good. Um, And that's death to drama. But on another level, if you make it too awful, then nobody wants to stick with your story. And I think that's the challenge here is that I think this is clearly the dark part of the season where even in a dark show, this is where people are being taken down into the depths before hopefully again there are some interesting things that come out of it but, but why would we expect that with sansa Nothing it, good has yeah. ever happened to her nothing good has ever happened to her and again it's it's easy to say that but the fact is if you turn people off to the point where they don't even want to continue then uh you failed <laughs> right yeah. i mean i i get like joss whedon kills people in his shows all the time and people don't like it and it's like well that's good drama it happens bad things happen to people in shows but if you do that to the point where people don't even want to see what happens next you have failed as a storyteller right and that is the danger of what they're doing this season and at this point in this season i think anything more about meta conversation about last week and where this show is or should we just dive into the, the details of this week not about last week, but I will
2: have some things to say about yeah. things that happened this week. Oh, yes.
0: Well, that's what it's all about now, Monty. Let's do it. <gasps> it's Let's get and in, dive into the details. We will do that now. Um, I, I'm going to start us at the wall. Uh, there was a point in this episode where I thought this was going to entirely be stuff that happened in the north. That didn't happen. <laughs> um, I would have been fine if everything stayed in the north because I was really interested in what was going on in the north um, until I wasn't. Anyway, uh, the Wildings are going to take off and, and remind me here because... I know that our listeners out there who have encyclopedic knowledge of everything that's happened in the show and the books and I don't <laughs> and so they are mad at me when I say things that are wrong but I believe they're going to they're going back through the wall to the north to get to round up all the people who are still north of the wall and bring them back south, right? I was under the impression he
2: was rounding up wildlings so they could go attack Winterfell.
0: No, no, no. John said no to that, right? Oh. I think Sorry, everybody. I don't know. I don't know. Well, they write in and tell us what what he's doing. I believe the idea here is they're gonna they're gonna go get the uh, wildings and then they're gonna and then they're gonna take them south because otherwise they're gonna get killed by the white walkers when winter comes. And this is why our friend who didn't get elected to be the warden of, or the uh, the lord commander says, "I think this is a mistake." And also, I think you're pretty stupid. To which Jon says, "Thank you, as always, for your honesty," and then ignores him.
1: Now, the way that I saw it, uh, Jon Snow is going out to, uh, you know, if he's going to wrangle them up and, you know, do things for the good of Castle Black and you know, all the realms of men that he swore to protect, it's like it, he's out there doing all these things for uh, C- Castle Black. And I, it, it's going to be interesting to see all the fallout from this because these two groups coming together to fight like this is what I'm most excited about when it comes to the wall, even more so than Stannis and his march south. All right. Um...
0: The yeah, yeah. This is look. I totally get. I have to say, I totally get the perspective here that the wildings look. We always fight them. The the Nights Watch for the last since since the White Walkers receded, the Nights Watch has been about fighting the wildings, right? And now it's like, and you're going to go get them and bring them back to the side of the wall. But did we just like have all these? Not only do we hate them like eternally, but we've had all these fights with them, and now you're going to bring them here. And I think there's a certain amount of disbelief about the the, the threat from. The White Walkers—that mm-hmm. uh, is stupid—but you know, I I, I kind of understand that. I understand why there would be resistance to this. And if you're, it's not like John had a mandate, right? He won by one vote. <laughs> so, um, I, I I think I think it's an interesting position that he's in. Uh, that one vote, I believe, was um, was um, uh, Meister Aemon, who who uh, we then we then see uh, on a bed. I hope it's not its deathbed, but I think perhaps it is. Oh. Uh, he and and he makes references to Egg, which is Aegon Targaryen. <laughs> um, he, the, the, George R. R. Martin wrote a, a, a series of novellas that are set way before the Game of Thrones books about Duncan Egg. Egg is one of those two characters, <laughs> and Egg is Aegon Targaryen. Um, get him south before he t- it's too late, he says about the baby, who he says reminds him of Aegon Targaryen. Um, and then he says Egg. I dreamed that i was old and dies oh my god seeing these characters
1: die after all these years of having them on this show is something never something i'll get over uh
0: the fact that we have characters still alive now amazes me a little bit (laughs) so in the book meister amon dies in a different location uh of old age essentially and says i believe his last words are egg i dreamed that i was old but there's a whole subplot that that uh we haven't seen and that apparently is not going to happen i'm not going to mention it in case the other characters in that subplot do that thing but Mm -hmm. um but he doesn't he doesn't make it away from the wall in this version of the story that we're seeing on tv um, and so we get the and now his watch was end has ended thing that Sam does and and then Sam is told threateningly you're losing all your friends Tarly <laughs> <laughs> okay no, he didn't do the evil laugh but it was yeah his you, he really needed that old blind guy to protect him
1: yeah yeah <laughs> and as we'll see later he has some agency of his own to protect p- the people
0: he loves yeah. and himself yeah barely <laughs> what agency <laughs> he has skill not so much nope. Um he did it, kill a white walker once yeah. and he will uh live on that until he dies. If only big fat jerks in the night watch died of being stabbed with g- dragon glass, then things would be easy. But no, <laughs> they probably do. Well, it depends. So, uh, for different reasons. So we should so in the next scene that we see in this location, which is not here in sequential order, but I like to kind of group this stuff together because this is that kind of show. Gilly is down uh <laughs> being harassed by doing she's like doing the laundry <laughs> and she is harassed by two jerks from the night's watch. Um and Sam appears to and is like, "Oh, my hero." He draws his sword and as my notes say, loses the fight rapidly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, be- <laughs> speak at this point the show is really resisting giving us any moment of happiness nope. or optimism. <laughs> right. So you say you get to see Sam draw his sword, protect his girl yeah! and then just get the snot kicked out of him for several
0: minutes. Thanks show. Yeah. And that was and the most brutal punching scene I've seen since Fight Club and yeah, Jared Leto. He, he got punched and then punched and then punched and then punched. Although, as I as I noted in my in my little notes that I write while I'm watching, his superpower is to stand up because i thought he was down for the count but you know what sam is a, is he cares about gillian doesn't want to see something bad happen to her so he gets up um he's probably about to topple over but ghost <laughs> the, the cgi direwolf came at the exact right time Does that that ghost exists? yeah remember well he's right here <laughs> so,
1: oh, God, this gave me, like, brief glimpses of maybe uh, Sam is... Uh, why am I blanking on the name of the people that can control the, oh, the war- other animals. the wargs. Thank right? you, thank you. I, I had for a brief moment a glimmer of hope that he was a warg. It was like, oh, probably not, though. <laughs> I
0: got a wolf right here.
1: Yeah. No, it was more His like, what? Paul the Ruth wolf
0: is here? <laughs> oh. And then he passes out.
1: Yeah, that's very true. On a bleaker note and going back to mm-hmm. our discussion earlier, I'm really upset that they use the very very tropey damsel in distress kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I thought this show was above that, but turns out it's not. Um and even later as I just rewatched this episode earlier in season 1 with people I'm rewatching the show with again and Tyrion mentions or no, I'm sorry. Um yeah, Tyrion mentions in his story that after he rescued the whore who was almost raped they had sex. Nobody does that. They mentioned that in that scene, and they did that exact thing here. And, again, for what? For Sam's development. Gilly really has nothing at all to do, sadly, except be the victim for
2: Sam's own plot development. That's all I'll say about that. I, well, I, I, I'll ahead, say Lauren. something from Sam's point of view is that he's, he doesn't even get to be the hero. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he showed Pluck, but really it's Ghost who did all the work.
0: Yep. Yeah, I I feel like so I feel like the Sam and Gilly thing. I I kind of understand the damsel in distress, my hero. What they're trying to do here, because because it's against type, I I feel like that's what they're going by is hey, Sam's a smart fat guy. He can't be the hero, but look, he tries to be the hero. I'm not, you know, I I feel like that's why they're doing it is that they they view this as a as a very vari- as a variation that it's like more novel because it is sam and if he was a traditional hero type they maybe wouldn't do it um i'm not i'm not saying that that's a good enough reason but i think that's what they're going for here is that he's the unlikely hero who turns out not to be the hero because as monty said it is the cgi direwolf that who happens to be around for some reason that is that is the hero and then yeah what what ends up happening is that gilly um you know is taking care of sam's wounds because he did get punched in the face of many 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 times i i did laugh at the moment where she says um i mean he says what kind of man would i be if i ran away i mean this is sam's story as he's trying to be a hero but he's really not very good at it um and then uh she starts to kiss him um and I, I wrote I wrote down that it's line from Ghostbusters. Well, it's more of a guideline than a rule that we can't be with women. Um, but I, I did really like when she says, am I hurting you? Because she she touches him and he groans in obvious pain. He's like, no, mm-mm, no, I'm, no. Are you sure? Yeah, he's sure. He's sure you're not hurting him. Um but i think you're right that she was she was almost assaulted and 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 then is the thing she's going to do to be re, to react in this way is that a normal thing um i also don't know i mean gilly's the psyche of gilly is very hard to understand cuz given the horror of her backstory, um i'm not sure one that she has a healthy attitude toward how she treats the men who act as her protectors because her mm-hmm. father who was I you know her father who is also probably trying to have sex with her or no her father who ha- is the father of her child at the same time right mm-hmm. um i mean that is just
1: top 10 of the uh, worst characters in the uh, in the show yeah, based on cra- you
0: guys uh craster craster is yeah so That's just, it's so messed up that it's very hard to read what her character would even be and how she would react and whether we should feel good that her response is that she wants to kiss and have sex with Sam or whether that's kind of sick and messed up because her whole history of this is with Craster. Um, I don't know. You know, from the... And this is back to what we were saying from Sam's perspective. It's like, oh, we're rooting for Sam and he tried to do the right thing and the girl really likes him. And I do think that Gilly has legitimate affection for him because he's the first man who has ever tried to treat her nicely at all ever. But at the same time, it's kind of weird. Kind of weird, just putting it lightly, but yes, it is a way to. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, when you start thinking about Craster, it all kind of unravels into, oh, I really don't even want to think about what Gilly's really thinking here because her background is so messed up.
2: Yeah. I'm not actually sure she likes Sam. They don't have anything in common and she thinks he's really condescending whenever she tries to get into his world.
0: Does she view him as a Craster replacement? Because that's gross. It could be a form of Stockholm syndrome. I mean, he's nice and all, but she is she is coming out of this completely ridiculous uh, life that she's led up to the moment where she gets swept away here and taken back to the castle. I don't know. It, it, it is it it's a romantic, a big Hollywood romantic moment, but all of the backstory makes you think. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> There's a technical. There thing. are many, many problems with <laughs> yeah. That technical term. um no yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i mean sam sam is a nice person who t- is trying to do the right thing and for him to get the girl isn't that nice but from the from gilly's perspective i don't even know what to think because Agreed. yeah um all right so that's uh that's at the wall <laughs> maybe we should move on to winterfell nothing terrible could happen there that's the worst not place not in the world uh, so Sansa is uh, really unhappy. She's locked in her room all the time. She tells Theon that uh, that Ramsay just comes to uh, comes at night to do terrible things to her, and otherwise she stays in the room. You you have to help me, Theon. She gives him a pep talk that I think is actually really effective. I really liked uh, Sansa in this scene where she is taking control, and she's like, "You got to help me. You killed my." You killed, you know, members of my family. You betrayed us. Uh, you got to do this for me. And he, and he's like, "All right, okay." And we see him going and climbing up some stairs, and we think he's go- he's going to the tower to light uh, to- a candle to signal to Brienne that she's in trouble. And instead, he goes to Ramsay. Uh, and Brienne's we get one shot of Brienne standing outside of Winterfell, looking and seeing nothing. Uh, hope. Dashed. Dashed. Dark stuff. Although again, I like that Sansa this I, I liked this scene for Sansa because she is she is I would I would actually say playing the game harder than she's ever played it before. And she's desperate because what's happening to her is awful. But she's also like working on Theon, right? She's like you owe me, you need to do this, we have a plan, you need to take care of this and he totally lets her down, but I like that she's she's working hard here to make something happen to get out of this. I think I, that I think that's a really nice scene for her.
2: Yeah, I felt this was a scene that we've just seen a lot a lot before. Yep. Where Sansa thinks she can do something. Oh wait, no, she doesn't have any agency in her story. Well, Theon I mean, will Theon buck up? Nope, Theon's reek. Yeah, like that alone, we've seen at least a half dozen times.
1: This was my basis. Uh, like this was why I thought that Sansa was the weakest character in the show because she had no agency. But this does prove a, she has a little bit of agency, and b, that she's still able to put up with all of this stuff and do something about it. She has not reached reek levels of
2: resignments. Well, she can't do anything about it, though. She can try, but it doesn't make any difference. That's
0: and true. That's what I, feel- I find.
2: De- that's what I find depressing about it. Is regardless of what Sansa does, if she just resigns herself to accepting everything, like she did with Joffrey, or if she fights, like she's doing now, she still gets dumped on constantly, and I find it pretty depressing. No, agreed. I do too. It's something that I'm. <sighs>
1: God, I, I I wish they gave her more. And I feel like George R.R. R. Martin, in a sick twist of fate, is going to give her the best ending just because she's done, mm. she's dealt
0: with all of the worst crap this show has to throw at any character. I agree with all that. I, I just, uh, you know, I like the scene because she's not. I don't feel like she's being a puppet. I don't feel like she's. I mean, it doesn't work, right? But I feel like she's doing. It, you know, honestly, actually, it's. I feel the same way about this as I do about the, the scene with Marjorie later, which is. Um, which is even when they're essentially helpless, they are still not going to take any crap and they're going to try to do, you know, whatever they can. And I, I, like with Sansa, I feel like she's really active here. Yeah, it fails, but so often I see Sansa as being passive or clueless or taken advantage of. And here I feel like she's, um... She's, you know, she knows what she knows what she needs to do and she's putting it together and she doesn't seem hesitant and she doesn't seem clueless and she doesn't seem like she's parroting other people's words. I feel like she's, you know, although she's in this position where she has to rely on somebody who's completely unreliable, that she's giving it her all, which is all she can do. So that that mm-hmm. part of it, I liked. I mean, with all the other complexity around her, I felt like she was, I felt like. If she gets out of this, she is going to be so much further along because because she you know in that scene with Theon, she's just not she's just not going to take no for an answer. She's going to demand that he do something. And when was the last time we saw Sansa take control of a situation and demand that somebody do something and not be a, a, again like a kind of a puppet who is told what to do? Like I feel like she's really got it. Unfortunately, the tragedy is that there's nothing you know if Theon doesn't come through and he doesn't. Mm. what what can what can be the result i don't know See, I, I just have no
2: faith that anything good is ever going to happen <laughs> to
0: her. well this is true <laughs> Based on the track record, I think I think that's that I I totally hear what you're saying. I I guess she got my hopes up again is what
1: I'm saying. So that's very true. And this is something that I wanted to bring up in uh, the first episode where Sansa comes to Winterfell. I don't think I said it, but it's relevant again here. Everyone says that, oh, Lord, lady, potential king, whomever. There are people in Westeros singing songs of you and cheering your name and actually wanting you to be the rightful true king. This is the first time we actually see people say, Lady Sansa, you have friends in the North. North remembers. Here, uh, light the candle and put it up in this tower and we will help you. We will actually do something to help you. And that is the first time we've ever actually seen anybody actually do that. We don't see any Targaryen supporters in like the small areas of Westeros, even though everyone says to Daenerys, Oh, people are singing songs of your name. They want you to return to Westeros all over the course of the series. We saw that prostitute.
0: <laughs> we did. This but- is PR. <laughs> just really good PR there's a whisper uh, constant contact yep mm-hmm. gives they constant have, contact there's a media. mailing list there's some ravens that get sent out regularly with uh Targaryen ter- <laughs> updates that happens yeah um uh Ramsey comes and finally lets Sansa out of the uh, tower, but we uh, we know that there's going to be some terrible ulterior motive because uh, we saw that Theon go and visit Ramsey. Um, he points out that the storm is good for northerners and not Stannis, something that we'll see again in a little bit. <laughs> is she... Ramsey a northerner now? Well yeah actually the Bolton's are all northerners. They're, they were they okay. were they were previously like kind of uh sub sub houses to the Starks. They were okay. they're, they're also northerners. That's why they're making their claim is that is that the Starks are kind of gone but there are other northerners around including including uh the Bolton's. Um, I can't imagine anybody I, 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 again I love to Sansa kind of not them. caring at this point because she feels like you know i don't i don't know she like she has nothing more to lose she's like but you're a bastard <laughs> what happens if your mother in law has has a boy and he's like oh no 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 i was i was uh i was elevated i'm going to be fine but she's like found a point of weakness in him which i i really like because it's clearly a question about whether uh whether his dad will really keep him around uh, if he has a uh, he has a sort of legitimate born son, but he says, oh, bastards can ri- rise high like your half brother, Jon Snow, spreading the news that Jon Snow is in charge of the Night's Watch, wherever he got that information, perhaps from a, a raven from the newsletter. The-, the Targaryen newsletter also mentions other promotions that happen. Um and then, and then, of course, the, his actual purpose is to show that the nice old lady who said the North remembers has been flayed and, and like, beheaded or something and is hanging up there. And uh, and then he threateningly says, you should hold on to your candles because the nights are just so long now. Take her back to her cell. And that's all we get from Sansa and Ramsey in this episode.
2: Same- I mean, and then she's going to go get raped every night again. I guess so. Like, until th- until th- this the is,
0: situation improves somehow. This is
2: my lowest spot in yeah. the episode. Like I say, when you said in the introduction, you can understand why people might find this show too bleak. Yeah. I'm on that borderline myself.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like, well, yeah, (laughs) things I can't, I don't know what's going to happen next because although I've read the books, they don't do things that are in the books now. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I, I, so I have, I have hope that this is going somewhere because if this isn't going somewhere, boy why are we even doing this right i mean and i i th- this is okay so you guys tell me this i had the same theory about uh daenerys i was thinking today about daenerys i'm thinking we have spent so much time with daenerys daenerys in the east right what let's just say and again i'm just making this up this doesn't come from anything but let's just say in the next episode an assassin succeeds and kills daenerys we go ha ha <laughs> she won't be in charge of anything Why did we spend all this time with her? Right. There's almost like a compact with the with the audience that the only reason you have somebody over there and you take all this time is that they're going to be important. Otherwise, why have you wasted our time? right? And this is sort of on a smaller scale, how I feel about the story with Sansa and Ramsey is this has got to go somewhere. There's got to be a reason we're going through this. There's got to be a reason they're putting the audience through this. And if the reason they're putting the audience through this is so they can point at us and laugh and go, ha you thought something good would happen there? No, everything is terrible forever. Then yeah. I mean, so I, I guess I've got a little bit of faith that maybe this is going to turn around and that's what that glimmer is what keeps me with it. But I, I, I totally see your point that, why should we even believe that at this point given the history of these characters Ah. (laughs) what i'm saying it's nelson months is going to point and laugh at us at the end of this season that's what i'm saying uh it, it, it is dark this is this is the like i said i'd like to look back at the end of the season and say well this is the point where they you know they they made it dark before the great resolution that made us all feel much better about where the story was going later the <laughs> in, in a few episodes we, of, of the podcast we can look back on this moment and laugh and laugh at how optimistic i was <laughs> that'll be fun <laughs> we'll play a clip <laughs> we'll all we'll chuckle uh um sorry old lady the north remembers um still in the north on the way to winterfell yeah. stannis is told by the Onion Knight that we are running out of horses, we're running out of supplies, winter is coming, it's not just the words of the Starks, it's really happening. Um, and Stannis' response is like, well, look, we can't go back or we'll be there forever. So, and then we lose. So we're going to go forward and we'll win or we'll lose, but what can I do? We got to go, which I think is a good point. It's like you're kind of committed now. And they bring
2: up the thing that I understand the least about. All of Game of Thrones in the line, "Who can say how many years this winter will last?" Yes, I don't know. I still do not have any idea how people in this world have a concept of years if it's not tied to the seasons, and how do their crops work? And uh, I have a lot of questions.
0: Mm. Well, in the books, um, and I think it's 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 referenced in. The show, but in the books, it's clearer that uh, that uh, because of some strange magical thing that happened with the doom of B- Valyria, the seasons are of varying lengths, and that there was in the past a, uh, a, a a long time where there was like a long winter and a long darkness, a long night, and that's the last time the White Walkers came, and that that when we see the show, it's it's the end of a very long summer. Where everything's been really great. And the fear is that after the long summer comes the long winter. Um, But I don't know how clear that's been, and certainly not whether it's been mentioned since the first season. But that's the premise. I noticed that line too, which is, um, you know, on on, uh, this planet where Game of Thrones happens which according to the opening map is on the inside of a sphere. Yes, theoretically. That yes. might just be for so, visuals. Yeah, so it's totally out of the out of the story, but because in the book it t- says this same stuff, but there's no reason for it. But I, I think I read an interview with George R. R. Martin where he said, "Look, it it's all related to magic. It's the doom of Valyria. <laughs> all of the stuff that happened there has basically set the world in this really weird case where the the summers and winters happen uh, you can have a you can have a years long winter or a years long summer and and that's it's you know suffice it to say that it's magic it's not like some something because people asked him like I think I think people on the internet were actually doing like orbital mechanics of, <laughs> of like how does this how does this work and are there multiple suns and how do you have it and and, and, and is the axis really tilted and all that and he said no 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 it's just magic it's a magic it. thing that happens.
2: Got it. Wizard did it.
0: Yeah, it's Wizards. It's the Doom of Valyria. If there's a question about anything that happens in Game of Thrones, the Doom of Valyria is probably the reason.
2: You know, you could probably uh, sing The Age of Aquarius.
0: This is the the dawning of the Doom 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 of of Valyria. The Doom of Valyria. Hey, Brian, you're back. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know. Hi. Are you recording again? I am recording again. Awesome. Five files. That's the, the, you are not the first person to have this happen to them. Mm, great. <laughs> um, and so, so, uh, let's see, where are we? Oh, so, so winter is coming. The onion night caution. Stannis makes his claim. I, I think that's all. I think that's all good. And then we get Melisandre who says, oh, you should trust yourself. You've seen the, the, the future. There's a great battle in the snow. And I walk along the battlements of, 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 uh, of winterfell and the flayed man man banners are lowered to the ground he's like yeah that's awesome and then she says but you must sacrifice your daughter first Bwah! again <laughs> the the evil laughter is just implied and not actually said <laughs> and he says because we've seen his tender scenes with her earlier he's like nope she's my daughter get out
2: makes him father of the year by westeros standards let's get him um, a mug
0: yeah. Uh, and, and the other line that she had that I wrote down that I, I think is good because it's like, try to remember what the big picture is here. Only you can lead the living against the dead, which is she's, you know, she's looking at the big picture, which is this is this battle, final battle between good and evil, the living versus the dead at the end of this. And that the reason she's supporting him is kind of to get him to that point. But he is refusing to sacrifice his daughter in order to guarantee his success at Winterfell. Although I wondered, did she know, you know, was that part of the conditions of her? vision that he sacrificed her was that always part of it i I don't know how her visions work well she needs
1: she's chosen the best time to spring it on him
0: (laughs) yeah well now that you're totally screwed
2: unless you do what i say (laughs) she can kill people with the blood of a king right which she listed the people she's killed and did not list Balin Greyjoy. so i guess he's still alive somewhere
0: yeah or he just fell (laughs) it was natural (laughs) natural it's it's it's, it's, let's not even talk about the great joys we're just not talking about them all right yeah they're off somewhere doing something i'm sure (laughs) trust me i've read the books where they go on for chapters and chapters and it's good good call producers take those guys out well i just thought she could have mentioned it
2: right there because she was trying to kill three people with the we killed all of those guys (laughs) but she specifically all right anyway yeah
0: you're right you're right she doesn't she doesn't mention
2: point is she wants more blood to cast
0: more killing spells and right Right. And he doesn't, he likes his daughter and has been nice to her. And he's got, he's got that mug that he would have to shatter as part of the spell to sacrifice her in order to win the, uh, the battle. It's unclear whether, whether he can win the battle without, I think more like there's a great price to be paid if you don't. And this is the thing that will guarantee that everything will go great. Um, and that's all we get. So it's like just hanging in the air there that they're in this difficult position and she wants him to make a sacrifice and he doesn't want to do it because he loves his daughter. Well, I appreciated that. Go ahead. This is the creepiest she's been in a while.
1: Uh, We've mentioned that she's been more annoying than creepy, even though she started out very creepy. This is the one point in the show over the past maybe season and a half that she's really freaked me out in that she was like, you must sacrifice your daughter. The way she tried to seduce him into it was uh, very classic Melisandre.
2: Yeah, I appreciated that scene largely because I always get curious about the logistics, where everybody is on the map. And I'd wondered why Stannis hadn't gotten to Winterfell yet when he left a few episodes ago. Right. Because after all, uh, Peter Baelish was able to get all the way from Winterfell down to King's Landing much faster. Exactly. They're caught in the snow, and they have a giant army, and that's why they're going so slowly. I totally accept that explanation, and I appreciate the show for giving it to me.
0: that's good. And that um, was—this is—so what's really interesting is not only are they diverging from the last—the most recently published book in the series, but they're also reaching the end of the plot of the most recent— published book in the series so so in the in this episode there are lots of things that happen either at the very end of the other book or right you know or close to it or like just didn't happen and this is an example where i believe in the in the in the most recently published book this is where we leave stannis is essentially wow it's snowing a lot this is bad um what are we gonna do and so um as, a, as a, uh, a book reader who's also a show viewer, I, I kinda, I, I, I've I kind been viewing the show with this like knowledge that makes me be like, oh, that character will be fine. And now I have no idea what's going to happen because we've seen characters <laughs> die who did, haven't died in the books or died in a very different way in the books. And so the book – so people freak out and they're like, oh, did you talk about the books? I, I haven't read the books. Uh, you know. Don't tell me about the books because I don't want to spoil anything. It's like, guys, people who have read the books, they have no idea what's going to happen now it's it's like their upper hand on you people who've only watched the show it's gone it's totally gone all i can do is from academic purposes tell you that with stannis my recollection is essentially that we're at this point or maybe slightly after this point but it's the we're in the snow what do we do we're not really good at snow but we really have nowhere else to go so how do we attack winterfell and that's you know that's what we'll see presumably in the rest of this season. Um, but it's interesting because, you know, this is a southern army that came to the north for some very particular reasons and some out of some desperation. And here they are. And this is where they are now, which is like, well, we may lose, Stannis says. And Stannis doesn't like to talk about losing, but he's like, <laughs> I have no other options here. We're going to we're going to fight and we'll win or we'll lose. But where else can we go? I guess they could go south, but there's nowhere for them to go south. The whole plan is to take the north. Two things. Uh, one, I used to watch the show
1: with a lot more book readers and they would always tell me that the appeal of watching the show was to see how their favorite characters and scenes and plots were enacted Mm -hmm. and brought to the screen. And now we're all on the same footing and we have no idea what's going to happen with Stannis. And I am very excited. And for another, um, I feel like Stannis is the person outside of maybe the Lannisters that are so wrapped up in their own propaganda and their own goals that they are willing to do anything. And I'm very glad that Stannis has reached the point where he he is done. Like, he is not going to sacrifice his daughter for this cause or for Alessandra, or for anything else. He's okay with getting leeches or maybe killing Jon Snow. He was possibly on the chopping block. But who knows? Maybe there's a uh who knows i mean i'm really hoping that he has a little bit of a shifting character because he's been the same for quite a while just melisandre on one hand and his little maps and little uh figurines on his map (laughs) on the other and i hope something else interesting happens with him i'm glad his daughter's coming back and i'm glad they had that touching scene so that this scene is much more uh much more impactful
0: that'll be his biography stanis barathe on a man and his maps and his crazy lady who tells him (laughs) what to do that's the subtitle crazy lady oh Um, man now i want to play the game of thrones board game it it bothers me the only you can lead the living against the dead i kind of feel like melisander so here's the thing so she talks to Jon snow right and 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 she like talks up like he should do what she says and all that and she she tries to have sex with him and all of that stuff happens with melisander right so I, i like that she's telling stannis that hey you're the guy you're the guy you're number one you're my guy um but i don't believe her I think that's really interesting, because if he's truly the only one who can lead the living against the dead, then I guess we all need to get on Team Stannis here, right? But again, Daenerys (laughs) Targaryen, Jon Snow, there are other interesting characters out there who we might also think might be able to lead the living against the dead. Perhaps Melisandre is not entirely accurate when when she says that. She's just telling him what he wants to hear. Well, he can lead the living against the dead, but
2: Daenerys can bring dragons against the dead. (laughs) And statistically, I like
0: dragons more. Yeah, I think the mm-hmm. dragons could do a really good job against the, uh, the, the since we know that dragon uh, stone or whatever it is kills them, dragon glass, that perhaps the fire of dragons would just like melt them. And that Dragons are living too. They are
1: technically they are living. in that Venn diagram.
0: Mm. Yeah. You don't know that for sure. Mm. Ooh. Great debates. <laughs> <laughs> good <laughs> Dragons, <laughs> that'll be our new podcast, Dragon <laughs> Living or Not. <laughs> Hosted by Scott McPerson. <laughs> yeah, and Monty, and they just argue. All the yes time. um <laughs> no introduction either just no nope.
2: there's a like a second and a half of music and then it cuts right to shouting
0: yep that's it people <laughs> love those kinds of podcasts i'm telling you so to the east we go oh exciting sure yes imagine that part of the opening credits where we pan to the east on the map
1: we the fly by fly by that uh glowing yellow sun thingy that is illuminating all that globe yeah.
0: That's why the the, the, the um, seasons are so weird, is that there's just like a glowing sun thingy with a little gyroscope around it. <laughs> yeah, no one brings that up when they talk no. about uh, the seasons. It's the true science fictional aspect of Game of Thrones that's not discussed. Yeah. You know that
2: time that uh, Jorah said, in a few centuries will we learn how to make cities like these again? He means giant clockwork cities that rise up out of the mm. ground. Mm.
1: Yes. The sun may rise in the east and set in the west yet. Daenerys Targaryen, you will get your Khal
0: Drogo back. Jorah and Tyrion (laughs) continue their wacky adventures uh, at the slave market where Jorah's PR (laughs) has never been better. He killed Khal Drogo. A slight overselling of what happened. (laughs) He sold for 20 bars of gold-pressed latinum or some similar made-up currency, at which point Tyrion says, hey, I'm a great fighter too. I can punch this guy who's got my chain. (laughs) <laughs> and the guy and the guy who bought uh, bought Jorah says, "All right, I'll take him for you know these pennies that I have here." And and the uh, the slavers are like, "Hey, I didn't think we'd get anything for him. You can take him." Tyrion immediately says, "Hey, freedom is good." And the slave masters go, "I'm punching you in the face. Shut up."
2: Yeah, I really enjoyed how little the slaver cared about what happened to his assistant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. stood around going, "Well, if you're gonna let, if a it improves dwarf my pr-
0: the price, I get." Yeah. <laughs>
2: If you're going to get beat up by a dwarf who is in chains, you're not cut out for this job anyway, kid. It reminded me a lot of Puny God from the first Avengers movie. Uh,
0: (laughs) Tyrion (laughs) as Hulk.
1: Well, the way that, you know, in the last episode, because I watched these two back to back and this this little subplot kind of blends together for me. But the way that Tyrion uh, sold himself as, you know... I am magical, and how will you know that if, uh, if I am not there to have my genitals cut off, or whatever that weird bit of culture was. Uh, and here, he's able to sell himself as a half-decent fighter, and someone that can hold his own. And he caught the eye of the same person that uh, brought Jorah away, which was fantastic, because
2: if they had been split up, Tyrion would have been screwed. In a way, it's just like the scene where Uncle Owen buys R2-D2 and C-3PO. Oh my god. Well, it is. <laughs> always star wars <laughs> look see how the tall one gets purchased and he says no you need to bring the short one too <laughs> and the short one's always being sarcastic
1: wow and Tyrion always talks in bleeps yeah that's a thing yeah, that. exactly you
0: just you just blew my mind well not really you but thought about every
1: single permutation that game of thrones and star wars could be mm. brought together i'm sure
0: Uh, let's see. So, uh, when we return to the slaves, they are told to prepare themselves because there's going to be like a, it's a big audition. If you survive this, we get to go to the slave pits. Woo. And, uh, and, uh, Daenerys is there. Um, I guess, I guess rather than, rather than do that, we should jump in between these scenes. There's a scene with Daenerys in bed with her boyfriend, which I completely tuned down on and I thought was really totally boring. Agreed. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Other than that, her boyfriend says, "Hey, you should get all the masters together and slaughter them all during the great games." And she's, and then there's some. I mean, I know why the scene is there. It's because for the, these lines, because she says, "I'm a queen, not a butcher," and he says, "All ru- rulers are either butchers or meat." And I and I had that wa- wondering, like, is is what we're seeing here the ru- the education of ruthless ruler Daenerys? Is this like all part of the? manual on how to become a leader is you you learn all these things about being butchers or meat is that she, she, already,
2: she already killed all the people who own slaves <laughs> like she's okay with slaughtering people she doesn't approve of but that scene that's was, her whole arc right where she's training to be a queen
0: yeah guess, it seems so yeah.
2: that scene was odd to me because here's a peek behind the curtain I watched the last half of the episode first, the first half second, because of TiVo problems. Yes. Which, first of all, meant that until I started the second watching, I had no idea the wall was even in it. (laughs) Because it does not appear in the second half of the episode. Right. Yep. But also, I had seen everything... I saw the fight first, and then I saw how Jorah and Tyrion were getting to the fight, and then that bed scene really to me felt like just connecting the dots, like someone mm-hmm. had said, Well, Daenerys has to watch the fight somehow, right? And then they had to write in a quick scene to justify it. Guest
0: editor Sally Menke. <laughs> the oh. the uh yeah, I, I I I mean again, I think the education of Daenerys is is one of the reasons for this scene, and then the other thing is just like uh, setting up some future, like you should gather all the masters and slaughter slaughter them and all that, and it is a kind of a bridging scene. It's weird, and I, I it is very rare that I just write literally write down in my notes when we're watching Game of Thrones. This is just boring, and I don't care. But that's mm-hmm. what I did with this scene. I don't, I just don't care. I don't care about the pillow talk between Daenerys <laughs> and her boyfriend, who's not the guy that she's marrying, about about her education as a ruthless leader. Well, I mean, this is interesting pillow talk
1: because I'm sure most people's pillow talk is not how they're going to conquer empires and uh,
2: run towns
0: or or extended metaphors involving butchery and meat. It
2: may be relevant to know that she's not planning on having her wedding to that one guy be anything but a uh, political move. Right. Exactly right.
1: Right. I'd like to go to Acme one day and say, "Hi, could I have a half pound of thin-sliced Targaryen, please?"
0: Well, mm. I, I do I do wonder if there is an intentional juxtaposition there about, you know, does Daenerys get to make marriages of convenience on her terms versus somebody like Sansa who doesn't? I don't know. Who knows? I mean, she has
1: Lord knows she has enough uh, you know, we always talk about agency. She has enough agency to make things happen. Yeah. <clears throat> who knows what is going to happen in her storyline? Maybe she will like cuz the most fascinating thing to me about Daenerys is when will she head over to Westeros? What will bring her there? And as we'll find out later, it's probably going to be Tyrion. Who knows? Mm, yes.
0: So, so there's a big fight, uh, and Daenerys is there watching, and she's just t- d- the slaves killing each other, and she doesn't like it, and she's going <laughs> to leave, and she's told she can't because she needs to. I don't know, for because of reasons, and Jorah.
2: I really thought she was going to leave right yeah. before Jorah came. Out. I know, I me they were too. Going to be that mean, and
0: Jorah's in the, in the cave, going like, "I hope I get it." God, Gee, I hope I get it. And he he grabs his <laughs> stuff and he's like, I'm going to kill everybody and show her how much I love her. And he does and shows how he's way better than these stupid slaves are at killing people. And, and although he doesn't like run, run them through, he's sort of like doing a lot of bop on the head, kind of knock them out. And then yeah. takes off his thing and he's like, see, it's me. And she's like, get him out of my sight. <laughs> she's get like, oh guy. God, it's my ex. It's my It's my creepy <laughs> stalker. But, but twist he's like i have a gift for you and i thought oh it's the title of the episode a titular gift <laughs> and and the the line of the night really is i am the gift my name is tyrion lannister boom finally tyrion and daenerys have met Ami- I, am I, I wanted so to cl- happy. i wanted to applaud oh and man I, this I, was i half expected her to be like kill him <laughs> 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 it is uh, it, I, it's, it's 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 exciting There's no way to, like,
1: because you're right, I was half expecting Jorah to die, like, the split (laughs) second before he uh, took off his helmet, but eh, he didn't. We get this little bit of uh, nicety.
0: See, this is how the show trains us to expect the worst at all points. but uh instead she listens and Tyrion is there and it's certainly an intriguing I mean who knows what happens next but that that's intriguing and I would say at this point I, I just in terms of again comparing the books um Tyrion and and Daenerys do not meet in the books they <laughs> they come perilously close but in books that have been written that meeting does not, has not yet occurred. So, again, we are completely off the map. Who knows what's going to happen? It's not a spoiler if it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> if I this have... was a
1: video podcast, My jaw you could see my jaws on the floor. No. I thought they met nope. very early
2: on. Nope. Oh, my uh... God. I have a question, and it is this. Are these the pit fights that everybody was so angry about?
0: <laughs> well, no, this is was... the minor, this is like the minor leagues. This is like the triple A of the pit fights. This is the play-in game to the pit fights. The oh, ones I... who survive this get to go and fight in the pit, where it's like uh, awesome. Maybe I hope so, because that did not look like the pillar of entertainment
2: that everybody was acting like it was.
0: No, no, I, I really you... read it that way. That this is like the sort of sad uh, prep work for the for the final for the final like. Uh, like, you've made it a big leagues, kid. You're going to die in front of thousands of people instead of a dozen. All right. Because it just seemed odd that it's expected that Daenerys will come to this event. Well, I think, didn't they if say she, that she's, like, she has to go to place to place to, like, yeah. pay her respects and all that, even though she doesn't like it at all. Oh, but she she's got to, to do visit opening, all the minor league teams.
2: She has to throw out <laughs> the opening pitch at yep. every single minor league. uh that's yeah. no way to run a and business.
0: The, <laughs> and the opening pitch is somebody's severed head, unfortunately.
2: Well, well sure. Yep.
0: You know, it's, yeah,
1: it's weird because the way that, you know, she's there because tradition, and we mm-hmm. were all singing Fiddler on the roof here, of course. And the way that you know, she wants to leave and she can't because tradition, and you could see her visibly struggling, and that was something that, you know, something she has to deal with on her own, which is so annoying. But the way that she's just kind of there watching, it, it felt very ham fisted, like a very ham fisted way to get Tyrion and Jorah
2: into her sights.
0: We went from Chorus Line to fiddle around the Roof there, by the yeah. way. So I hope everybody yep. appreciates that.
2: That's <laughs> Musicals 2, Star Wars 1. If you're keeping track of what we're comparing Game of Thrones to <laughs> this week. Black Dynamite still won. <laughs>
0: uh, okay, we're going to move on. Leaving Tyrion meeting Daenerys hanging in the air, because we don't know what's going to happen next. But it's intriguing. Finally, two major characters meet for the first time. <laughs> Well, are we going to knock out Dorne really quick before we go to King's Landing? Uh, we can. I have King's Landing in front of Dorne, but I'm happy to let's, let's sure let's knock out Dorne first because not a lot happens in Dorne. I, I want to close uh, on King's Landing. Mon- that's where yeah. mm-hmm. you're right. Mm-hmm. You're right, Monty. Once again, you show your wisdom. Uh, in Dorne, <laughs> the are that so- something
1: came. The fact that same, something came after Tyrion and Daenerys meeting meant it had to be
0: huge. And it yeah. was. Yeah. So so in Dorne, which nothing huge really happened there, uh, Marcella meets Jaime. Uh, he says, your mother's worried about you. Dorne's too dangerous. She says, this is my home. I love- She says, this has been my home for years. Well, what? Three years? All right. At least-
2: I don't know. She she was way older than when she sailed off from King's Landing. (laughs) She's way older, yes. But I thought she had left in a more recent season.
0: Yeah, somebody out there is like angrily tweeting us right now, saying it was in this episode, (laughs) and we just don't know. We love
1: you, people. Thank you for tweeting those things. We we
0: do (laughs) we do because somebody has to pay attention. Lord knows it's not us. They never tweeted (laughs) at me, just at Jason. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they don't care about you, Monty. They they assume you know what you're talking about, and it's just my uh failing <laughs> failings that i think in season two is when she goes yeah i
1: i believe it's season two um okay. yeah because it was part of the power play with uh Tyrion trying to figure yeah, out who two. was leaking information to uh cersei all
0: right then so years then three season days? and and years certainly and she's grown, yes. She's obviously flowered into a woman, and also like time passes in Dorne twice as fast as it does anywhere else. Uh, but <laughs> she loves she loves her prince that, and she's going to marry him again. We have a contrast <laughs> about arranged marriages and various things, where in this case uh, she's perfectly happy to to uh, to marry her her hot uh, betrothed prince dude that she met in Dorne. You She'll talked be lo- about
1: the really pointless, boring scene in the bed with Daenerys. I thought yeah. this was the most boring scene where she just kind of walks in and says, Hi, I
2: like it here. Go away now. And like, what? Okay, fine. <laughs> that, that was the most short, like, pointless scene I've seen. I like that, though, because it shows that Sansa, or season one Sansa anyway, isn't the only person to go around with their head full of romance about yeah. this whole thing. And Myrcella is like, well, you, you sent me over here. You said fall in love with this guy.
0: I did. You don't know me. You're not my real father. Well, this is the this is also the um, we sent you here as part of political schemings. And now we're going to take you back because of political schemings. And she's like, no, no, I'm you sent me here and I made a life here and I'm going to stay here. Uh, which is it's I think I think it goes quick which is why it didn't really bore me I like that she's basically telling Jamie and by extension Cersei that she's not interested in coming home Um, but she's also like Sansa in early seasons you're right kind of above the politics of it because you know the the sand snakes were trying to trying to take her too right she may not be safe there and that's what Jamie's trying to protect her from Um, whereas the prince is you know he's he's going to take care of her because he says we're not going to do terrible things to to you know young women under my under my watch so the, these are the different different uh, uh groups at play in Dorne right now but i liked it that it was quick and she's like telling <laughs> off her savior her uncle and actually her father and saying beat it i'm happy here go away but really it's just to set up the other scene which is with braun <laughs> yeah the <laughs> so braun sings a song it ends with the line, I've tasted the Dornishman's wife. All the Sand Snakes applaud. They're amused well, by Braun. I think th- uh, the one in front
2: applauded and the other two were kind of glaring at her. They do a lot of they? rolling their eyes in this scene.
0: Well, the Sand Snakes, they that is, I, I feel like that's their thing, is to be <laughs> kind of grumpy and all that. I, I, I thought they all liked his singing. All right. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe it wasn't a standing ovation. They were standing anyway it was you know <laughs> he his voice wasn't as bad as they thought and then we the get best song they were listening to at that moment yeah sure the the yeah the entertainment in cells is not particularly great so this scene was really weird <laughs> can it i was. say that it was yes. really weird very weird you I, mean. know, the sand snakes are weird in the books they're weird and i, I what i've seen of them in the show they're weird they, i don't know what they're trying to say other than that they're yes they're they're very strange people these the sand snakes and they have their own kind of approach to life,
2: <laughs> which is poison somebody. Listen to them sing. Strip for them. Make them beg a little, and then give them the antidote. You're yeah. not monsters. No, mm. it was weird that they introduced the poison and then immediately. Cured I
0: thought it. we were. I thought we were going to lose Braun. I thought this yeah. was all just kind of a kind of a, a, a joke. But then she's like. Uh, you know, just tell me that I'm the most beautiful woman in the world, and then I'll let you live. I have to assume wow, that yeah. somebody
2: else is going to get poisoned at some point, and it's going to matter.
0: Maybe so. I just, I just found that this whole scene weird, and I like the sand snakes in the sense that they're that they're tough. <laughs> and they, they kind of don't care. But then in this scene, we've got, you know, let me show you my boobs and let me, you know, take off my robe. And there's a, there's a very carefully composed rack focus <laughs> so that we don't see anything. For, well, First off, there's a lingering pan down shot that gets almost to her private parts and then cuts away. And yeah. then later, there's another shot exactly like it, but it's with a rack focus so that by the time we get down to the bottom, you can't see anything. And I thought, really, show? Really? What what what, was v- what are we watching here? Such a weird scene. I it,
1: I understand why it's there. I hope it sets up something for the snan or Braun later. But it, it, why?
0: No, this this was like the you know HBO tells us we have to have so many boobs in the season, and so this is a good opportunity for that. It is weird. The note, I mean, I just tried to make light of it. In the end, the last note that I have for this scene is, oh, she does that to all the guys she likes. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, what is happening? I mean, maybe they're trying (laughs) to get uh, Braun. Do they think that Braun is somehow on their side by him telling him that that she's beautiful? I don't think so. He's a cell sword. He'll do whatever. Yeah. And he had to say that in order to get the poison antidote. I
2: think my interpretation of that scene is A, it's there to show that some people stay in a good mood when they're in prison. Yeah. And. (laughs) B, they're kind of bonding kind of. over their shared predicament. So yeah, she's I, like, you know what? You seem fine. I'm going to toy with you a little, but you can have the antidote. They're all So tough. later on, we all get out. We fight together, kill some people. It'll be fun.
0: They're, they're tough. They're good fighters. I, I think that's the best way to read it is they're tough. They're good fighters. And although the Sand Snakes will screw around with Bron when they're in the cells, in the end, they're not going to kill him. Um, he's, he, you know, they, there, maybe there's some professional courtesy. I do think maybe the reason for this scene is essentially to set up the sand snakes as being, um, you know, as dangerous or more dangerous than brawn, that this is like, you know, do not discount them. They are really dangerous and maybe that'll come into play later, but it's a, also a weird scene. I do wonder if both of these scenes are really there to just say, Hey, Dorn, you remember Dorn, right? <laughs> 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 they gotta do that even when there's some plots that they skip entirely
1: we don't get any Arya in this episode right like the fact that they can skip pl- subplots entirely and then throw in something like this just for the sake of hey you remember Dorn or maybe some other small little thing uh, it, it's a thing that the show does you kind of roll with it uh, they gotta pad out the runtime somehow even if they cut uh, Bran from this entire season if you, we don't see Arya this episode you gotta do it sometimes plus you know
0: Bran's fun <laughs> Bronn is fun. I actually that was that was the the saddest thing about when he was poisoned briefly is come on. You can't kill Bron. He's just too much fun. Got to keep him around. Keep it. give us something. Give us some lightness in the world. Don't kill Bron. So I'm glad they didn't do that. All right, should we go to King's Landing? Yeah. Let's go to King's Landing. Um <laughs> or not. You know, we can Sorry, stay I'm here getting, and go on if you want. I'm yeah, nothing getting, happens. I'm, I'm actually getting text messages from my children saying, how long are you going to be podcasting? <laughs> uh, we'll make this quick. Don't worry. Uh, no. So King's Landing. King's Landing. Uh, Diana Reed comes to Jonathan Price.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, she Nice nice little connection. And actresses, or uh, actors and actresses, I, I, I liked the line, don't spar with me, little fellow.
2: <laughs> well, but... <laughs> What she wants more than anything is for him to spar with her because she's great at verbal sparring. Oh, yeah. But she doesn't have any traction here. Normally, when she snaps at someone, "Don't walk away from me," they stop walking away. But not Jonathan Price. He keeps
0: walking. Yeah. Who are you? And he says, "A man of the people." I, I, I like. I think this scene is effective because it, it makes it clear. I feel like the clearest it's been. Um, who the Who the high sparrow is because. We know how he's been sold, and we've seen a little bit of his behavior. But here, Diana Rigg is like the audience. She's like, Come on, you're doing Cersei's dirty work. And he's like, Nope, if you break, you know, the father's laws, you will be punished. She's like, What do you want? I've got gold. And he's, and and he says, I imagine this might be, this must be strange for you, but I actually serve the gods. You cannot pay me off. You can't bribe me. And I wrote down, He's he's a fundamentalist. This is this is he is who we thought he is. As far as we can tell, he is not playing a game where he's a a tool of somebody else. He is doing what he wants to do to give himself power because he believes he you know he is righteous. And 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 uh she says you live among murderers, thieves and rapists. Um and uh, you know everybody will withhold our food and everyone will starve. And, and then he reveals that he's, he's not just a fundamentalist. He's a revolutionary. He says, yeah. mm-hmm. have you ever sowed a field? You are the few, meaning the nobility. We are the many. When the many stop fearing the few and he leaves it there the ellipsis and i yes the it's a very powerful ellipsis in this episode <laughs> and i think it's brilliant because this is i mean by all rights as as um modern enlightenment educated type people we should actually kind of be rooting for be rooting for him because while he is yes a religious fundamentalist he's also um trying to overthrow this entrenched nobility that we've seen is completely corrupt and awful and mm-hmm. the, and and this is what his goal is. So so I I think it's a fascinating thing that we've been viewing the game of thrones all along as being this battling between the noble houses and then here comes Jonathan Price and he's basically like we're going to start a revolution and we're going to throw all you people out. Yeah. Like I don't agree with all of the tenets of
2: his religion and no. I wish he had not started with characters I like very much, but he's <laughs> not wrong that everybody around him is evil. And should probably tighten up their morality in some mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. There's – so, okay <laughs> – <laughs> I've had
1: such a hard time getting a reading on Jonathan Price's character, the High Sparrow, and this is the finally this the episode where I finally got a grip on what he's doing, who he's loyal to, and why. And this is the first step in that. I first of all, I loved how the scene opened with a very theatrical, like um, level kind of base blocking that shows a lot of things. Why aren't you uh, kneeling before nobility? Or no, why aren't you standing at nobility? Why aren't you kneeling before the gods? I love that little thing. And then the scene ends. You're right with a revolution and as we'll see later his uh, his loyalties are very well defined and he will stop at nothing to do what he wants regardless of other political moves he's made before
0: with cersei <laughs> yeah yeah i like that i like the idea that amidst all this world that we've seen for five years four and a half years comes like the the uh, the Lenin <laughs> of of Westeros, who's like we're going to just overthrow the chain. I'm waiting for him to explain things about capital and how. Yeah. Uh, I mean, really, because he, that's he is he is a he is a religious fundamentalist, but he is also this egalitarian. He was like we're going to overthrow the corrupt. Uh, the uh, corrupt nobility—it's cra- it's crazy. And it's a whole other dimension to what we've seen before, which I think is really cool. That he's not playing the same game as them. He's saying we're not going to even play that game, which is fascinating. Yeah,
2: I think they're too early for Lenin. I think they might need Adam Smith. They haven't even reached all right <laughs> capitalism yet. They're yeah, still in feudalism. That's true. At some point, Ringo
0: and George and everyone else will come along too. Oh, wait, wrong. Sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um. So Toman is mad. He's very, very cross. Because his queen is in prison, and I love her. I love her, mommy. I love her. And Cersei gives him a dumb pep talk. Well, you know, some stuff you can't control. Whatever. Um, and uh, <laughs> and and he says, "Well, if I want, I, I kill every last sparrow." And I thought to myself, you know, yeah, you probably should, because there is a revolution going on in your city right now. And you are not doing anything to stop it. Yeah. And I know you are thinking, like, well, she might die uh, if if we attack them now. But I keep feeling like this is spinning out of control. And by you letting them stay there, you are risking your entire way of life, which is bad and maybe should be stopped. But being gone forever because there is a revolution happening, and you are not doing anything to stop it because you are afraid that your, you know, that your girlfriend, essentially, that your queen, is going to be a casualty.
2: Yeah, Joffrey would not put up with this. Joffrey <laughs> would be having some heads on pikes today.
0: <laughs> Can you believe we're saying what? Well, jo- this wouldn't have happened when Joffrey was the king. Well, uh, like the problem with
2: Tommen, Tommen is indecisive and has no idea of what his powers are as king. Right, so and Cersei
0: that. thinks that she's got the Sparrows like working for her, so she doesn't yeah. want to do anything either. Um. Well, that doesn't go well for her. But anyway, <laughs> nope, no, it does um, not. She says, "Let me talk to the High Sparrow." He's, you know, he's an unwashed fanatic. That was a nice line that I liked. And she says, <laughs> "I would do anything for you. I would burn cities to the ground for you and your sister," which is when we cut to Dorn and yeah. see the stuff about Marcella, which is a nice yep. nice transition, right? Well, well, that's after a uh,
2: very interesting uh plot confirmation between um Olena and Baelish.
0: Yes, yes. so another I was just going to get to okay. that. So so Olena gets a scroll and then we see her meet a little finger at the wrecked brothel. It's like, well, it seemed like a good investment at the time. Um, and there's a nice line. You've always been rather impressed with yourself. (laughs) Haven't you? I like that. He has. That's his, the primary note that that guy plays. (laughs) That's his, that's his Mm -hmm. thing is to be impressed with himself. Um, but we get the, the, uh, you know, out and out line here. Our fates are joined together. We murdered a King. Yep. Um, and he, and he says, I have a gift for you. Um, a handsome young man, and and she says, "If I'm going down, I'm bringing you with me." Oh yeah, and if I don't leave this room, you will be dead, like in minutes. She's got a yeah. whole, you know, mm-hmm. she's got trapdoors and plans. And I, I feel like Elena might just leave King's Landing and say,
2: "Sorry, kids." Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> You're all yeah, dead. She well, she's enough. not going to
0: abandon her her uh, her her two two people to the Sparrows if she can help it, though. mhm. Yeah. Although maybe, I mean, maybe it's really just like, well, if this is not going to work, then let's just make it bad for everybody, because then maybe somebody will do something. I mean, realistically, although obviously their law
2: is ridiculous, Renly is going to be found guilty of having sex with men on
0: account of he he did that all the time. It seems unlikely that he would be because there's that question, Circe, because we're we're gonna get that in 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 uh, oh when when Circe talks to the the High Sparrow at the end, uh, there there is this like well if they if they uh, explain themselves and they they repent and they and they uh, and all of that, that's like well we could maybe if they confess the mother's mercy will be given to them and who knows what that will be and I got the sense from that like well if it's just like lying about her brother maybe there wouldn't be much there maybe some lashes something like that but um but yeah for for uh loris it seems unlikely that any confession is gonna is gonna do it exactly the way that you know
1: those kinds of confessions and the way that they're so fundamentalist about this hard and fast rule no homosexuality whatsoever it's something that is really you know the analogs, to the real world, are weird, and the way that I was trying to unpack this as I was watching, well, was and they've got their own, weight heavy.
0: They've got their holy book that's the seven whatevers because it's all seven, yeah. so it's like their Bible analog. Because we're, we you know, they're playing off of the ideas here of of what we know of Christianity, but it's not Christianity; it's this other religion. So they've kind of like tried to create an analog for us. But yeah, you get the sense that that something like you know, Loris's crimes would probably not be treated as well, but maybe Marjorie could get away from it. Then again, for all we know, these are fundamentalists. My Mother's mercy may be that we, you know, we we, we hang you instead of burn you with the stake. Yeah, Maybe that might be the mercy. I've been
2: watching <laughs> a lot of Inquisition movies recently. What? I don't know why. Well, I do know Your why. Your
0: life is also in a dark phase right now, is what
2: we're saying. Well, the local art house had Ken Russell's The Devils, and mm-hmm. you gotta see that in a movie theater if you can. Sure. And since mm. then... I've seen people get burned at the stake in, like, four movies in the past month and a half. Oh, my God. <laughs> and in general, in this situation, plus, what you have plus is... Plus an episode
0: of Game of Thrones.
2: Yes. <laughs> in general, what you have is, we will torture you to death or give you the mercy of a quick death.
0: Yeah. So That that, that could be what he's saying here with the the mercy of the mother. Yeah.
1: I like can imagine Cersei's thinking, mercy as a mother? Wait, what? what are you talking
0: about? <laughs> what? No. So, Mothers are jerks. So so Cersei comes to visit Marjorie in her cell. She brings some nice venison that she just had the night before. So it's like her leftovers.
2: (laughs) It's table scraps.
0: And Marjorie says, "I know you did this. Lies come easy to you. Great line, you know. But innocence, uh, decency—you're not so very good at those, I'm afraid. Perhaps that's why your son was so eager to cast you aside." (laughs) Marjorie really knows how to give it to Cersei, and she does not care at this point because she's in a black cell.
2: Yeah. Well. Both Marjorie and Tyrion, even though they are in cells, never stop being who they are. Mm-hmm. Like as soon as everybody's back is turned, Tyrion's trying to saw his way out of his chains. If all <laughs> yep. Marjorie can do is say mean,
0: cutting things, well, She'll that's do what it. she's going to do. She's really good at it. <laughs> well, she's yeah. got in her arsenal, yeah. And lie, Ly- and you know, just like lies are good for Cersei. So Cersei, I think Cersei. I like, I love uh, uh, Lena Headley's uh, performance here. Where she throws the, she shouts for her to get out um, and throws the, 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 like dog bowl that she brought the scraps in, right, at, at her. And she leaves smiling. Because it's like, that's what she wanted to get out yep. of it. It's to say she yep. went there, but to have her, and she doesn't even get to eat the scraps now. It's so good. She's like, she's like really proud of herself. I think that's really nice. And I, But I wrote down at this point, does she really think she can get away with this? Because she is running on the razor's edge. Because we know Cersei is not without her own sins. Yeah. Well. So oh. So she goes to see the High Sparrow, Jonathan Price. We get really nice another really nice scene between these two actors. And uh he says, Well, there'll be a trial in seven septons, and I'm one of those, and they'll get the mother's mercy if they confess, which as we said could just be that they don't get burned alive, they just something you know, get their heads chopped off instead or whatever. Um and and uh, he has an, a nice aside where he talks about the adornments of of uh, of Baylor's sept and this monstrosity that was built above this simple temple. Because again, he's kind mm-hmm. of expressing his his fundamentalism here. Nobody even knows who made this little altar. Their faith was clean. It's all going to be stripped away. The Tyrells will be stripped away. And then and then he says to her, "What will we find when we strip away your finery?" To Circe? <laughs> and the music rises, and you're like. Deep! <laughs> she's got terrible things and and oh, then he says gosh. i i know a young man who has much to say about you and it's it, this is La- lancel right this is the this is the other this is her cousin or whatever who she had sex with as a as a replacement for jamie isn't that right yes 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 well, jamie was character. out of town
2: being captured and kept in a muddy cell and everybody started to like him a lot more uh she was having sex <laughs> with cousin lancel right yep who was a long haired dummy. Now he's a short haired dummy. Yeah.
1: So this is the gift of a handsome young man that Littlefinger was talking about earlier, right? Presumably
0: this is what has happened here. Mm-hmm. And so she's thrown so Cersei is thrown in a cell and they lock the door behind her. I was sort of sad that she wasn't thrown in the same cell with Marjorie, because <laughs> that would have been hilarious. That, but instead she's just thrown in her own cell. That is my wish list. Like What needs to happen now
2: is Cersei and Marjorie have to team up, break out, and be like unwilling allies in a mission of revenge. Well, Monty, that would fit with your theory about the mismatched buddy comedies, (laughs) too. It's not super likely. I am aware
0: of that. (laughs) But wouldn't it be great? It's basically the plot of Chained Heat. (laughs) Uh, But I'm so happy at this because, you know, as long as she's been talking to Jonathan Price, we've all been like, but dude. She's really bad. If, yeah. you're gonna, if you're gonna follow these rules, Cersei is the worst at this. You gotta throw her. And and here here it is. And you know. And again, I feel like this is the the brilliance of this setup is that Cersei thinks that she's got the upper hand on everybody, and she lets him. Right. I mean, this is I mean, not not to get too real world here, but what we did at the beginning, why not do it at the end? This mm-hmm. is the story that happens time and again. This is the U.S. arming the Mujahideen against the Soviets in Afghanistan because, hey, we don't like the Soviets. So we'll give you guys all of this stuff. And then those guys turn into the Taliban and Al Qaeda. And it's like, oh, that was a mistake. Right. Well, this is what Circe is doing. She is right. like, hey, these guys are really awful and can make trouble for people who are my enemies. So I'm going to hand them all all of this power oh no (laughs) right they want to destroy me too yes you idiot that was what was going to happen all along and some of her specific moves are going to work
2: against her like she made sure everybody knows these guys can arrest queens right oh yeah yeah. well now me screaming that i'm I'm the the queen queen doesn't help
0: (laughs) the last thing she
2: said to tommen was you can't attack these people you need to let them do what they're doing
0: Well, so I now. do wonder what Tommen will do now that his his wife and his mother have both been taken by the uh, by the sparrows. He'll have that's to what I'm most
1: to- that that's what I'm most curious about is who he chooses <laughs> yeah. in the battle between the two of them. They're both locked away. There's nothing he can really do about either except exert a little bit of kingly force on one or the other. Who knows? I'm praying that he chooses uh, Marjorie. Well, what will the high sparrow
0: do? What 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 will he does he deal with King Toman and find a way to extract even more power? Or does he stay true to his principles and refuse to deal with him at all and force a confrontation that way. That's right. interesting so, too. We'll yeah, probably this, have this, this
2: We'll probably have right. a scene where Toman has to listen to his advisors. And Who's his small council has been completely <laughs> cored out by Marjorie and Cersei, so they're just useless fools there now.
0: It's going to be the one guy. It's going to be uh, Julian Glover, right?
2: <laughs> Great.
0: And the and the Frankenstein guy down in his cell. Yes, yep. the
2: Frankenstein guy. He's Ooh. the ranking advisor now.
0: Yeah, that's not good. Well, maybe you know, maybe he'll call his uncle Kevin to come and Uncle Kevin, help! They took my mom and my wife. Kevin Lannister will be like, oh, all right. Maybe, I
1: don't know. <laughs> maybe he can con- concoct some sort of potion or evil monster that can help. Maybe, or- maybe the,
2: yeah, maybe the Frankenstein guy can, can use his Frankenstein monster. Uh, it turns out Stannis is just making a mistake. If he were down at King's Landing attacking, he could just walk into that city and take it.
0: Yeah, yeah, except that Melisander and the High Sparrow are not going to get along. Oh my god. That I I never thought about <laughs> their pairing until
2: just now. I want that scene. <laughs> Producers, you're listening, right? Yeah. Please give us that. Well, we're probably going to get Melisander wandering around the uh old gods area with the tree. With the tree. Maybe we'll get a little brand cameo. I see Ooh. you
0: through the trees.
2: <laughs> Unfortunately, she's a she follows a god of fire, which I think yeah. works pretty trees, well against tree gods. Trees
0: don't like that, yeah. yeah they're the yeah. old gods though. There's the Lord of light, the old gods, and then the seven. it's interesting. The theology here, this is okay. So this is our longest episode ever, but just at at the risk of making it even longer. (laughs) Um, Theology is so important in Game of Thrones, and I feel like in a lot of genre fiction, um, a lot of people who like this stuff are not particularly enamored by theology. They're, mm-hmm. you know, they are more, they're very modern scientific type people who are like, ah, religion, whatever. Um, and I'm I, not everybody, but I think that there is a, a more predominant among fans of genre fiction. And uh, I worry sometimes that... Uh, As with something like Battlestar Galactica, a show that has been steeped in theology from the beginning, um, and it's easy to ignore it as it goes and be like, yeah, whatever, there are people with various gods, but I'm not going to be concerned about it. And then it comes to the end and all of those gods and all those different religions become vitally important to the plot and and the people who've been trying to ignore it very hard for a long time finally realize they can't ignore it anymore and get very angry because <laughs> that's what happened. I feel with Battlestar Galactica is, is, um, you know, you could ignore the Cylon gods and all or the Cylon God and the human gods for a long time. But when the final episode is all about that, you're like, Oh no, <laughs> what do I do? And I feel like that is a risk with game of Thrones because we do have competing theologies here. We do have these three different major religions. And there's this question of are, you know if they have true magical powers or something, is there a right one and a wrong one, or is there a clash between them, or are they all the same in different aspects and i think I think we ignore that at our peril i don 't know the answer, but i I, I think you can 't watch Game of Thrones without wondering about what the difference is between the seven and the Red God and the old gods
2: yeah, I think it 's more central to the plot of Game of Thrones than it was to Battlestar Galactica. In oh, that yeah, on Battlestar that, yeah. Galactica, I didn't recall anyone talking about angels until the last episode.
0: Well, <laughs> yeah, but there was a whole lot of talk about the about the Cylon gods and stuff like that. I mean, like I I was waiting for that for the whole the whole run of it. But spoilers for Battlestar Galactica: Have the not religious seen stuff. It. The religious stuff is important. <laughs> if you haven't watched it and you start watching it, pay attention to the religious. St- the fact that there are different religions, it's more than window dressing. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> it's um, off of netflix now but I'm it's kind of a sad. bigger deal uh in game of thrones and i i think i i just wanted to point it out and hang, hang a lantern on it a little bit in the highest window of the broken tower that you should pay attention to the to the religions because i don't know where that's going but it seems awfully important the fact we have competing religions who all claim to be the one that's going to save us from the dead creatures that are coming yeah. and so far
2: uh, my money's on the red god because melisander has actually <laughs> done things yeah
1: that god gets results <laughs> Well, the thing is, they have magic in this universe. They have these competing yeah. religions, and they rarely clash. Uh, I think that you know, there's the big elephants in the room, which are the dragons in the east and the White Walkers in the north. Those are the two really big things, and those are like the most magical things we've seen so far. Religion, everyone's got their competing religions, and I like the separation between magic and religion because that's a lot of people equate the two in the real world, right. and that's not
0: except at for, all. The except case. for Melisandre, who has who professes her her religion and the red God we've seen magic from, right? The red God mm-hmm. we've seen Melisander and his, her shadows that kill stuff. And we also saw the, um, the, uh, reincarnation or whatever of what is it? Beric Dondarrion. It's the, the guy, the guys in the riverlands a couple seasons ago with a guy with a flaming sword and all that, who comes back to life. Right. Yeah, Right. So we've seen, we've seen more evidence of that than we've seen from the other. The, well, the old gods, have the trees and stuff and we now have the like children of the forest where brand went last season and the idea that people are like sort of seeing through the trees and stuff. So we've seen a little bit of that too. Um, the seven we've, I think seen nothing <laughs> that, that yeah. is like an effect of the seven. So maybe, you know, maybe the seven is a charade or maybe it's yet to come. I don't know. I just think, I think it's easy to write that stuff off, but I think it's totally an important part of what the story is. And, uh, you know, if you don't want to think about the religions here, you, you should give it a little, give it a little thought because I I do think it's going to be important for what it's worth. All right. Anything else before we go? This marathon episode. Um, really quick. The title of
2: the episode was the gift, the gift. That could refer to Tyrion. It could refer to Lancel, if that's who Little was, Littlefinger mm-hmm. was talking about. Also, that's German for poison.
0: Oh, oh. Uh-huh. and I'll give you another one too. <laughs> the, as said in the books, but also in the previous episode or two episodes ago, uh, the mission that John is on is to take the wildings from the north and bring them to an area south of the Wall known as the Gift.
2: Ooh.
0: Oh. There's so many
2: gifts. So that's probably (laughs) where Stannis's scene was set, is in the gift, right? Because he's going
0: from the wall to Winterfell. It could be. It could be. All of this is going on. Uh, Did we just blow your minds? That's our gift to you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This is just another gift that comes with watching (laughs) Game of Thrones.
0: (laughs) It's the gift that keeps on giving. Anyway, thanks to everybody out there for putting up with us and listening to this whole thing. Um we will be back next week they they did an episode on memorial day weekend they haven't done that the past few years but they did it this time so here we are um, and you have all day today slash monday to listen because it's a long episode yeah <laughs> yes indeed and thanks to everybody who i've heard from several people who say that they love this for for mondays or perhaps this week tuesdays they watch game of thrones then they get to listen to us talk about it That that's the whole idea i'm glad that you are listening and i want to thank my compatriots as well monty ashley thank you as always thank you jason and brian hamilton i'm glad to have you back thank you thank you
1: so much i'm really glad that especially the conversation we had at the very beginning I'm very yep. glad we had that
0: absolutely and thanks to everybody out there of course you can send us your feedback uh you can tweet us at uh, TVnet net t-e-e-v-e-e-n-e-t you can uh, tweet me at jay snell monty is monty underscore ashley is that right yes and brian are you brian underscore hamilton I am underscore, underscore Brian Hamilton. Underscore Brian Hamilton. There are underscores involved. T- <laughs> TV net. TV net will reach. We'll all look for that, too. So thank you to everybody out there. Thanks again to Monty and Brian. We will see you next week with another episode of Game of Thrones. Goodbye. Goodbye.